This is Eitan Weinstein. And I'm Naor Menninger. And you're listening to Two Nice Jewish Boys. In collaboration with Australian Jewish News, check them out at ajn.timesofisrael.com. Also in collaboration with Arutz Sheva, israelnationalnews.com. think about the history of the land of Israel, you probably think about King David, the Romans, Bal Kochva, or the Ottoman Empire. But the fact of the matter is that all of those powerful rulers and leaders roamed this land pretty recently. After all, what is 1,000, 2,000, or even 3,000 years in the history of mankind? In recent centuries, archaeologists have been working hard to reveal the many secrets buried in layers upon layers of earth here in Israel. All of us have heard about the various findings regarding Jewish ancient history, but long before any records of monotheism, ancient men and women lived here. Israel's strategic location right on the border between Asia and Africa made it an important crossroads for humanity for tens of thousands of years. Nowadays, it is the Israel Antiquities Authority, IAA, who's responsible for digging up and revealing the secrets of ancient times. Today, we're thrilled to be joined by archaeologist Emily Bischoff Bruinches. Brian Jews. <laughs> what? Brian Jews. Brian Jews. Okay, that was totally <laughs> off. That. I love how you made a face like it was, it was kind of close. It was, yeah. just comp- it was like the opposite. Hey, but you got Bischoff, right? Most people don't even get that either. Bischoff. Yeah. Emily Bischoff Bringes, who works for and digs for the IAA. Emily is a prehistoric archaeologist who currently digs in southern Israel. She holds a bachelor's degree from the University of Minnesota and a master's from Tel Aviv University. She is originally from Minnesota, but now she lives in Israel. And we're super excited to talk to Emily today about her work and Israel's prehistoric history. Before we get to the episode, we want you, dear listener, to ask yourself a question. What have you done these past two years? You know, the pandemic hit us all really hard. What have you really done other than perfect that matzo ball soup recipe of yours? Nothing. Now, we all want to add purpose and meaning to our life, and we just, we have the way to really, really make your dreams come true. If you're listening, you're likely interested in Israel with hopes of traveling here soon. Well, lucky for you, we've got the scoop on Masai Israel journey. With an amazing range of life-changing opportunities in Israel, Masai has many, many programs. They've got gap year programs, academics, internships, volunteering, and careers. The pandemic didn't stop them either, promoting options to study remotely while living in Israel. You don't have to be fluent in Hebrew or break your bank account. They even supply partial funding so you can make a positive impact on the world. You can fuel your passion and you can make your travel dreams a reality. Go to MasaIsrael.org and find out more. Thank you so much for joining. Yeah. Um, So, okay, who lived here 10,000 years ago? Good gosh. There's, (laughs) well, there were people here. not but just men. Not just men. There are men and women. There are people of all kinds. I got to call out uh, sh- uh, Naol. He wrote men here. You almost slipped me up, man. <laughs> I was going to get, I was gonna get uh, canceled. canceled. <laughs> For not yeah. mentioning women. Yeah. No, it's, there's all kinds of people. There were several different um, 
one of the debates in prehistoric archaeology is uh, the different types of cultures that we would call them. So there's um, Ashulian, there's Natufian, there's all different kinds of cultures, and we tried to um, differentiate between them based on the style of pottery that they made. Um, I'm not one who really subscribes to the idea that there's very distinct cultures. I think there's different groups of people who use slightly different styles, um, but they were all... They but were up. That, that's the, that is the main indicator, the main signifier, is the pottery? Uh, yes, because most of... In prehistory, you have, depending upon... 10,000 years ago is actually pre-pottery, so it's very difficult to tell the different groups of people because all you have is flint tools. Mm. And those are... And teeth. Yes, and, and teeth, but like <laughs> human teeth don't really tell you too much. Yeah. Um, they were all bad. They were, yeah, no kidding, all bad. <laughs> um, oh, and they were also uh, malnourished. We often find um, it just, they didn't eat a whole lot of vegetables because you only picked what you could find because you didn't, uh, uh, agriculture wasn't as widespread or... Uh-huh. as diverse as it, as it is today oftentimes what you have um at the beginning of agriculture is that they stuck to one crop and I see. only ate that and so it's not exactly healthy yeah <laughs> so only potatoes or only yeah, wheat or exactly and so yeah. it's later that they start to diversify and their diet gets better but when you start doing agriculture you see a lot of um, so no uh, obesity problems or no, anything like that no um <laughs> you often see the difference and in fact you see um the when we studied the bones of people before agriculture, they're actually a little bit healthier. And then when agriculture hits, they're actually their um, diet and uh, health actually go down before they go back up again because they are readjusting to the style of life and adjusting their diet. It's amazing. I, I just because I, I was thinking about that this week. I was I'm, I started a diet. Yeah, I know it's embarrassing, <laughs> but I started a diet. A and I was thinking, theme, yeah. I was thinking how ridiculous it is that we've gotten to a place where like we have to hold ourselves back. Where there's such yes. abundance, we have to hold back from. Like yeah. if a prehistoric human was watching, he'd be like, "What? <laughs> yeah." <laughs> it wouldn't it yeah what you're not gonna eat the waffle crisps oh like... yeah they wouldn't it's it's um it is very interesting and actually that's um oh oh i had a thought and now it's gone there's just like n- like you ate what you had yep. you never knew i mean yeah do we know what the life expectancy was back then um if you got and this is actually a f- an interesting topic because a lot of people believe that life expectancy everyone died at age 30 and it's not actually true it's mm-hmm. that we average life expectancy based on how many people died and how many people lived, which meant that you've got a lot of <laughs> dead children that <laughs> you can kind of wait. Babies. Yes, that kind <laughs> of weight the scale towards life yeah, expectancy yeah. being shorter. But in fact, if yeah. you make it to your twenties, you lived for decently life. Yeah. Um, prehistory, it's it's kind of hard to say because it's also you have to actually find the bones to know. So it's not like humans evolved to live longer in the last 10,000 years because 10,000 years is like a blip in evolution, yes. right? We always were 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 built to live like Had the potential. 70, Had the potential. Years. Yeah. Because it's also, again, you're a prehistorian, you know, you're a prehistoric human. Yeah, you could live, if you get to your 30s, you could live longer. But 
you gotta watch out for being stampeded by mammoths because you're hunting mammoths you gotta watch out for other stuff you gotta depending upon your style of hunting because some groups of people throughout the what they might do. get eaten by a velociraptor oh, well yeah sure uh-huh. or am i <laughs> a little not quite what happened anachronistic just a bit um but i mean other people other groups of people that um that we have seen that um they would chase like the mammoths of people over cliffs and so if you weren't careful you would go over the cliff <laughs> with the mammoths and so you might die because that's the way they killed them because if you didn't have spears or bows and arrows before that that's what they did they would chase the mammoths over they would the cliff them, they would herd mammoths and, over and over a cliff over cliffs not necessarily mammoths but other whatever large mammals but yeah and that then was they would way. go and collect them mm-hmm. at the bottom of the cliff yep that's wow. ingenious. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, that's what you had to do before. Right. And that's even before stone tools and stuff. And wow. Because you also, bow and arrow was a later invention. At first, you only had spears. And so if you didn't want to have to run alongside and stab. Yeah. So can you mammoth- give us a little uh, rundown of the periods? Oh, gosh. So. <laughs> what is prehistoric? And- so like as in time, as in actual like years. So More or less. Yeah. So prehistory. So Okay, so you have the very arbitrary year zero, which is very much based on Christian belief. That's what I, the year that Jesus died and whatever else. Um, so about... Born. No, yeah. he died. 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 Because if you remember, it's AD, it's after death. Okay, yeah. Gotta love that Christian-centric thinking. Um, but so... Uh, to, so about 5,000 years is when, before that is the advent of pottery and agriculture about. So another 5,000 years before that is even further back into prehistory. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. even and that's much closer. So 10,000 years is going to be, you're starting to have the development of agriculture and moving forward. Even beyond that is prehistory that's um, upper Paleolithic and lower Paleolithic and millions of years. Um, that's also when your stone tools are going to be much bigger your flint tools i keep saying stone tools there's difference there's flint tools and there's stone I was tools say, we, we have no idea yeah. what the difference so is. Uh, flint tools are tools that are made out of flint and flint is um a very easy rock to the term in archaeology is napping to nap which basically means you take a rock or another tool and you knock it against the flint to create an object or a sharp ed- sharp edge on mm-hmm. your flint and flint is very good at um, it breaks kind of with it, sharp it breaks, edges. Yes, it breaks very well. Kind of like glass, yes. right? Yeah. Um, so flint flakes, it, it, it yeah. flakes, so it does this very well, so you get the sharp edge. Um, and so earlier time periods, you're going to have, um, for like example, I can't remember the time period for it, but my favorite flint tool, it's called the Acheulean hand axe, because there's those also, um, we, before 10,000 years, we label the different time periods of human evolution and human existence based on the type of stone tool so or the type of napping so you have a Julian you have Le Valois um, you have Mousterian most of these are French because the French were the ones who found them um, <laughs> but my favorite uh, flint tools is a Julian hand axe but it's often um, it's about this big and it's in the shape of a giant leaf and it's just we don't know if it's ceremonial or not because it is so big Mm-hmm. that you don't quite know how they would have even used it. Mm. But they're definitely, it's a specific yeah. style, a specific type, and it's just, they're beautiful. And they're just a feat of engineering. So is there something unique to our area, like to Israel, 
that 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 makes it different in any way than uh, not that i know of um so the these these periods in history are very similar across the entire globe yeah because also what we think is is that um because we all came out of africa is that as we branched along africa along those routes of travel that's also where the technology moved that's Mm. also why in europe their bronze age is much later than the bronze age here Mm. because as the information traveled and as is there any dispute about the africa origin within archaeology no Mm-hmm. Like not so how is that so clear what it, what are the uh, kind of findings uh, like the the traveling out of Africa yeah oh geez um, well we find um, just recently I don't know if I can say that I don't know if it's been published but we have found similar um, prehistoric hominids that we found in Africa we've actually found them here in Israel mm. as well so we know that they moved and came here so we have I don't know which Obviously. hominid but I see. The same type. So, like, the only one, like, for example, Homo erectus. It's the direct ancestor before us because we're Homo sapiens. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Homo erectus. Some of us. Some of us, yes. <laughs> um, but Homo erectus was the hominid that came before us, and we have found them throughout the world. And so, but we've also found them starting in Africa as well. Mm-hmm. So, they must have Originated. traveled and moved. Yeah. And we can also date the bones and. All so all the dating is carbon dating, even of the pottery. You have to have organic material. So it? not everything work? is carbon dating. Um, there's a lot of other types of dating, and it's been a while since I've read that, so I don't really know if I should describe it because it will be very inaccurate. But there's other types of dating other than carbon dating that are actually more accurate than carbon dating. Um, oh, really? Yes, because carbon but, dating, you could have... Um, carbon dating is very helpful, but every time that you date carbon dating, you have a plus of minus of years around mm-hmm. the date that they give you when you get a carbon date depending probably how far back you go yes also. It gets exactly bigger, the farther back. actually the further back it goes because you get the carbon half-life and so it's actually more accurate i well, i don't okay. again this is something i haven't done in a while so google it guys yes google it because <laughs> i don't remember but it's it's that's where carbon dating can be it, it's carbon dating is very very helpful but um you oftentimes want another additional mm-hmm. things you don't just um Let's put it this way. If you hang your entire archaeological research on a carbon dating, you'll get torn to shreds by your peers. So how, how, what other kind of dating is there? Uh, I can't remember the exact name of it, but there's one about, it's, I think it's called like spinning electron. It's where you, when you pull something, it's an organic material. I'm pretty sure it's, um, it's either pottery or something else. I don't, again, I feel so bad. I don't remember. Um, but you put it in a special machine, and what that does is it al- makes the electrons release or flash, and mm-hmm. based on how many flash at what frequency or whatever, that tells you dating. And it's actually far more accurate because the, the electrons. It's some have been... sci-fi. Yeah, and I, oof. and that's from like my first degree because we didn't talk about that in my second degree. So now it's been like ten years. I yeah. don't remember. Um, so but... I, I. I remember a little bit from history lessons that some of the dating is done actually by pottery styles yes by the types of pottery that's actually that's that's probably far less accurate it's far less accurate but it's also that's what we use mostly in the field i see um and it's it depends also on like it's far it's very accurate in the roman time periods like there are roman archaeologists that you can hand them three different pieces of pottery and they can tell you that if the angle of the rim the top edge of the pot if it's here it's this year if it's here it's this year and if it's like here it's this year oh wow 
and the rest of the pot can look the exact same, but the rim will be different, and they can tell you precisely what day it is because yeah. that's how it's kind of like you know if you found like slim jeans or skinny jeans yes, or whatever. Exactly. From our time, you'd yep. be like, yeah. okay, this is 2012. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Low rise, 2002. Collection. Yeah. Bell bottoms. <laughs> exactly. Like, we're not sure if this is the 90s or the early 2000s, exactly. but <laughs> exactly. Or are these the 70s? Well, yeah. there's not enough lycra, so it must be the 70s. <laughs> yeah. So it's that's um. But that's, that's pretty more, crazy. Well, yeah, yeah, well, that's also that that's that speaks to the prolificness of the Roman pottery, and yeah. that's just that's that. It's as you go later back in time, we have um, less uh, pottery examples because the pottery is also not nearly as strong. It's not fired as at precise mm -hmm. temperatures or as hot of temperatures as the Romans, because by the time Romans, the pottery has technology has developed um, to the point where they can control the heat of the flame so they can get it to pretty decent high temperatures as well so they can really bake that pottery so the pottery really does last forever but you have pottery from say the calcolithic it will exist but you have to be very careful with it because it's not fired very well so it kind of can fall apart in your hands mm, right. and that's also very difficult because we don't have as many examples from calcolithic pottery on top of that it's also you could say it's like it's this time this really wide 200 years or 500 years within the Calcolithic period or it's this 500 years because there's not as much of a style change within pottery as well so tell us about your diggings what are some cool things that you found oh goodness in Israel, um, in Israel. Oy. Um, goodness that's also kind of complicated because I don't know what else what, what has been published and what so I'm allowed to talk about um well, I did dig at um, my university digs. I did. I dug at um, Telezica, and that was six years ago. And it, I hope it's published. Um, but I was digging in a um, Persian uh, iron um, smelting workshop, and so that was very interesting to find leftover pieces of iron from the smelting, um, and just to see that. And also because it was Persian period. Um, well, not just because it's Persian, but it was very, it was one of those moments where you had to step back and think about what did the landscape look like before, when they were doing this, because iron smelting at that time used a lot of wind to help power the flames, to help keep the flames going. And so we then realized that we loved, and it was on one side of the tell where there was a lot of wind, and we realized that, oh, of course they would have it here because there's this beautiful breeze coming up off here all the time. And it must mm -hmm. have been even more without all these trees in our way. Mm. And so that was pretty cool. But there's... I, like, there's how so does it work? The, the, how does the IAA choose? Well, this was for, with the university, uh, Tel Aviv University. Right. The IAA doesn't necessarily... Um, the IAA mostly does rescue and salvage excavations. Mm -hmm. We don't necessarily do um, research excavations. We can. Um, but that's not necessarily the role so it's building sites so what's rescue and salvage? Yeah. so so salvage is um uh wow so sorry <laughs> it's been a long day guys um so as if i can remember correctly um one or the other my brain is so fried but one is where you come in and you gather as much information as you can in as quick amount of time as you get as you can and you get out the other is you spend a little bit longer of a time to really dig and to really find everything that's there and you take much more longer to document it and to get uh, or decide if you're going to preserve it. Um, 
And this is different than research in, in what sense? Research, uh, so both salvage and rescue, the point is to get as much information as you can and as in as short amount of time as you can. Um, really, the only difference between the two is time length and yeah. the amount of money really given to it. Um, a research excavation can go on for years. Mm. And also research excavations, you work at a far slower pace. Mm. Um, and that you really do take your time to... Um, so like Talazaka, Tel Megiddo, these are research excavations. Tel Megiddo has been going for <laughs> years. And they you don't dig as deep or um, you dig far slowly. You um, Every single item you document you preserve um not necessarily preserve but every single every single thing you find you document you research you write you send to the lab to study um there's usually a lot more money given to carbon dating rescue excavations and salvage excavations there would be less money given to such things as carbon dating because it is expensive so does it have to do with the confidence level like you set up a research site when there's a high confidence of findings in that area um Yes and no. Um, again, it's 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 also depends upon. Um, really, in archaeology, it does come down to money, and mm. who has um, the ability to keep that excavation going or what it's going to be used for. So, like Tel Megiddo, it's it's a park. It's a site that you can go to and constantly see. It also mm. depends upon who is going to use it and when or if it's going to be demolished. Rescue excavation and salvage excavations often happen when they are, especially with the IA, because that is our purview, is that we come in to see what is there before they build a road or a building or parking mm. lot. Um, Every single construction site in Israel is first uh, surveyed by the IAA? Yes, if it's within, um, throughout the country, we have um, spot sites that are declarations because this country has been surveyed ridiculously. So we know where there's archaeology throughout this country. Um, and so then it will be an it'll be a declared archaeological, it's not necessarily a site, but it's a, de it's a declared archaeological region. And so if you're going to dig in that region, then yes, you must contact the Rashut, the IAA, and we must, and then um, my manager, I am not that high up yet, my manager then goes meets with the contractor and they discuss the level of archaeology, what is there. Even in Tel Aviv? Oh, yeah. even in Tel Aviv. It's all over. It's the entire country. So you can find in Tel Aviv in a, in a site, prehistoric. Not necessarily prehistoric, but you could find... Bronze Age, you can find Iron Age. More necessarily, not more in North Tel Aviv and South Tel Aviv because mm -hmm. the majority of Tel yuppies. Aviv, yeah, more, <laughs> the majority of Tel Aviv is brand new. So yeah. you got to go down to Jaffa or go North Tel Aviv. And how, like you were, you were mentioning, you were aching. Uh, yes, today how, I had to. Yeah. So how does your day look like? Well, my day is I get up around f between five to five thirty. What depends upon how far. What does that so, hour even look like? Uh, it's very is it, dark. Is, it's dark still? <laughs> so it's a, You're obviously not in the 5 a.m. club, Ethan. No, no, no. It's, it's, um, it's, not, it's not so dark. The sun still comes up. It's better when it's, um, there's daylight savings because then it's light again because oh. otherwise it's like, I am alone in the world. Um, <laughs> but so I get up around then. It takes me about a half an hour to get all my stuff together, to get dressed, and then I'm out the door. Um, I usually work in the region of Ashdod Ashkelon. Um, and so each day I might be at a different site. Um, sometimes, very rarely, thankfully, I am sent to Beersheba, 
Nothing wrong with Beersheba. It's a lovely city. It's just very far drive. <laughs> All our Beersheba listeners. Now. Yeah, I'm like, nothing against Beersheba. Yeah, yeah nothing against Beersheba. It's just, it, you know, after, if I have to be in Beersheba at 7.30, it's like I got to yeah. leave by 6. And it's so the it's most the, hated destination by Israeli soldiers. Yeah. And archaeologists, apparently. <laughs> and archaeologists. Well, there are archaeologists who live in Beersheba, who work in Beersheba. They yeah. love it. And it's, it's a very nice city, and there's a lot of fun archaeology there. They're it's like, just, just don't send me to Tel Aviv. <laughs> yes, exactly. Because yeah. it's, yeah. Although Tel Aviv is an entirely different district, so yeah. I, I live, I work in the southern district. There are mm-hmm. four districts within the mm-hmm. IAEA. There's the northern district. There's the central district. There's the Jerusalem district, and then there's the southern district. Mm-hmm. And the southern district goes about um, uh, Ashdod, south of Gan Yavne, all the way to Eilat. Mm-hmm. So you show up in Ashkelon, Ashdod, around what time? Seven o'clock, seven thirty. And you have a team. Uh, no, it uh, depends on what I am doing. There are four different types of activities that I, as a supervisor or a mefakachet in Hebrew, um, that I do. There is pikuach um, or supervision, which is basically I walk around a site where someone is, where there's construction happening, and I just make sure that they don't find any skulls. archaeology or, or if they find something to a make sure. A prehistoric skull. If it's just a normal well, skull, they're like, okay, you can throw uh, it away. Well, I'm also, just because I'm, I'm, my focus is more in prehistory doesn't mean that I can't, I must ignore or I ignore Other classic skulls. stuff. So yeah. I any kind of archaeology, I have to, if I find it, I have to go, okay, stop, we need a break, let me check this, let me get my manager, we got to decide what we're going to do. Yeah. Um, because that's also the other discussion, is if we find something, do we, depending upon what it is, do we cordon, do we section it off? Do we let them just fill it in and move on? Do we tell them to move? It's probably their worst nightmare to find anything, <gasps> yes. right? Yes, although it's a, even worse of a nightmare if we catch them and they haven't told us that they're digging. Right. That's, no. a, that's a huge fine. It's actually a very big if deal. They haven't told you, but what if you catch them like trying to like hide away a coin or something? Um, I call in the robbery unit because in the IEA we have a whole division that is it's shod robbery that you call and they actually come in and arrest people. With sometimes. helicopters? Not necessarily, but they do arrest people. They do, you know, there was actually I think there was just something in Wynet that they caught people digging in a site and they arrested them or got the police to arrest them it's so is it this is okay we got to go into this a little bit and then Mm. we'll get back to your day-to-day because i want to hear about it but this is somewhat political but isn't it basically you're not allowed to dig in israel like if i took a can i take a shovel out to the negev and just start digging (laughs) no no. Yes, Satan, you can do. Yeah. No. Even if you could, you no, wouldn't. I wouldn't. No, it's... Um, I won't show up there at seven, that's for sure. Well, I think also, <laughs> again, it's are you within an achazah and also why? If you're digging, if it's in your garden and you're digging to plant, like, vegetables. Yeah. But then if I find a coin and I keep or it, it's robbery. Even a fossil. Yes. Well, a fossil, I, I don't know. That's not... I actually don't know what happens with fossils in Israel. That's not... They, I always ask, and they never tell me. They're like, I'll just put it over here. We'll give it to this person. I'm like, okay. That's worthless. Well, I mean, when I was excavating at Moza, um, we would find fossils because the ancient prehistoric people would find fossils, and they would keep them, much like people do today. Yeah, That's so cool. Yeah, so they would just keep them and hang on to them or do something. We don't know what they did. It's the prehistoric IAA. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, we would so, put it aside. And so, if I found a, if I was digging in my garden in Tel Aviv and I found a coin, mm-hmm. that's robbery if I keep it. Um, if you keep it, 
it's like it is robbery if you keep it. You, but no one would ever know. It's a coin. Not that you should do that. No, but don't if do I that. Try and sell it. Then if you try and will sell know. it, and someone catches you, it's a big deal. That's, that's, kinda, that's actually so. Long. That's kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. It's kind of crazy that the government of Israel owns. I mean, there's, there's also the law. issue that they own all. Yeah, the there's land. a whole law. But um, about but yeah. uh, like property, historic yeah. properties. Or... So that's why there's um there's actually antiquity dealers in Jerusalem because there was a whole law about because when Israel became a country, Britain had the British mandate had allowed all these antique se- um, yeah. sellers, and so there was a law about they were grandfathered in, but now no one else can be an antique seller. Yeah, mm-hmm. and in fact, all these antique sellers, their entire stock is managed by the IAA. And if one of those antique sellers wants to go out of business or wants to close up shop, he can only sell his stock to other antique sellers. So it's kind of like a, not a monopoly, monopoly. but it, the, the IAA is a monopoly. But yeah, but, um, but it's it, it's an, sellers, yeah. but it's all in a, an attempt to try to because control the because there were robberies. Well, and, and let me st- remind you oh, about yes. Moshe Dayan. Yeah, yeah. Who robbed? Do you know the stories? That he would keep antiquities. Yeah, he yeah. would he would dig in sites and just take it home. Yeah. And that's and it's and, still a, and we still have problems with robberies. Dig, he would dig using state resources. No, he wouldn't I take a shovel. Uh, the well, story. he w- he would. Yeah, he was like in the IDF, so exactly. he would probably take a, f- a bunch of a bunch soldiers, of soldiers <laughs> yeah. and go digging. So that's a yeah. problem for a different reason. Yeah. Well, yeah, but it's also but we still have robberies today, and it's a whole thing because it's. Uh, have you ever encountered a robbery? Uh no, and I don't particularly want to because I'm supposed to. Stop the them <laughs> and yeah. stop them, and that's kind of any means necessary. Well, not necessarily any means necessary because it's obviously like stay safe. Do you have a license to kill? No, it's <laughs> <laughs> okay. a very good thing too. Um, she but... has a flint axe. Yes, exactly. I'm like, Don't you dare! <laughs> it's really great deterrent. Um, but uh, it's it's one of those things that always kind of like I I if I do see someone like even if I see someone with a mental detector, I have to stop them because that's also depending they have to have licenses to do that mm. even um, on the beach even on the beach it's, really yeah depending. you need a license I, I think i don't know i know that uh, if i see someone i don't That's know the rules the iaa funds itself all the shekels they find <laughs> yes, on the exactly. beach they're like no nope, oh no nope, nope. we have to date that but it says 1996 on it <laughs> well if it's a modern shekel it's one of those things that's like mm, okay. yeah yeah <laughs> But 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 they find so much coins. I oh yes, coins we find all over the place. It's just um, it it also well, again, we find coins all over the place of certain time periods. Like right. we find when Roman did coins. Coins start. Oh good grief! Um, like in ancient, like in prehistoric times, there were not no. in prehistoric, um, but like Roman, right before, right around mm-hmm. the Roman times, the, I see. I, Greek usually. Um, but so, so it's not a big find, but there were big finds in there's, there. So it, well, with coins, it depends upon the type of coin. Uh-huh. Much like uh, there's um, these silver dimes in America. If you find a silver dime, because there's only like 500 of them minted, if you find an American silver dime from, I think it's like the Revolutionary War or the Civil War, I can't remember which one, it's a worth a lot of money because there's only 500 minted. So it like, uh, it is... I think it was Hezekiah. Was it Hezekiah? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry, my husband's over here. He's helping me. He's also an archaeologist. There's a, a coin from Hezekiah's time period, but there's only like one or two found in the entire country. Mm. So if you find one of those, yeah, it's worth a lot of money. But if you find another coin from the Ottoman Empire, right? Another fat sultan coin. 
Uh, it's another uh, another thin leaf gold coin. It's like it's worth the amount the gold like uh-huh. the weight in gold. It's not worth much because we've but, got so much. But they did find like some crazy things throughout the years here in Israel. Like there was this cave with the most ancient something something from hunt what was oh, it oh gosh i don't remember oh, okay <laughs> but it's like the most ancient like human of that time i think yeah from Some, in the cave but yeah there's like from a few hundred thousand years yep. ago and that so happens they quite find a bit. that and and um also my friend told me that there's this thing about uh that you can find in caves in israel because if there was a tsunami then it would bring up to higher caves do you know this or uh, no okay. no i, I don't can't actually. even repeat it but it's, <laughs> it's interesting I'll, I'll i'll check it and get back oh, to you remembered was tsunami <laughs> yeah I, tsunami he, and cave he would tell me that in the cave you can you can because there were tsunamis so sometimes it would bring like i don't know like fossils or clams inside the cave and it's then the you would tsunami know cave and then you would you can you can date tsunamis yeah from ancient times by looking at higher caves and but ah because oh, it's it's the further because archaeology you date from what's what you see on the ground is the the um latest and then as you go down you go uh sorry Yes, it's earlier. As you go down, it's earlier. Yeah. So, yeah, you could date it by doing carbon dating on the types of um, coral or as you as the types of fossils, as the fossils right. get washed up. So why yeah. were you aching? Because today? Uh, today I was in Ashkelon um, and I was moving marble. And marble is heavy. And Like ancient marble? Or eh. new marble? Well, there's no... Again, ancient, it's one of those words. As a prehistorian, for me, ancient, it's prehistory. But for other people, it's Roman and Greek and uh, Byzantine when and Ottoman. Where is this marble from? I can't really say because it's an ongoing project. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> but you were... Can we guess? Let's go. Let's go. Guess. Uh, a billion years. <laughs> no. Okay. Not even close. No, marble, yeah, it should be a few years. thousand years. Yeah. I mean, how how old can marble be? Like I don't know, somewhere well, between the, a thousand well, and a billion. Well, are you talking about the rock itself, or are you talking about the carving of marble? The carving. The carving, you know. Yeah, the carving didn't start... Uh, I of don't marble think, until, like... Yeah. Was it carved marble? Well, yeah. Okay. There's, There's no, another I'm clue. Not moving, I'm not moving raw marble. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not moving just, like, random maybe, bricks of marble. Like a maybe you got girl, a side Well, thank you, but no. <laughs> it's not... No. <laughs> But I was moving marble, and so it was difficult, and so I had to help the the person put it and move it. And when so you lift very... it, you need to use your knees yes, instead and of your back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, but even the arms the and try to move it and finagle it. So. so, so you were saying you do four different types. You do pikuach so, supervision, pikuach, um, and then you'll do um, arki in Hebrew. It's chadchebedika. Um, in English, we call it test trenches uh, or test cuts, um, which is you'll be. I'll be sent to a field or a spot and I do, I work with a backhoe and we do trenches. And so the trenches will be about four meters long, about as wide as his back scoop is, and then two to three meters deep. And we do um, a series of those 10 meters apart in Mm -hmm. all directions. So you do this grid of these different cuts. And so that's one way to test what might be in the field. And so if I find something, I have to go down into the cut and measure how deep it is, how long it is, how wide it is, what type of material, and then take pictures with a scale and a north arrow. And then when I write my report, I say, well, in this cut, I found this and this and that. And then... And I this have... is part of a research and salvage? 
Uh, no, this is a step before that. Ah, okay. So, so uh, what like will happen surveying. is surveying. Yeah, it's a type of survey, but we also do surveys, which are um, basically we just walk on the surface and we document using a GPS what we have found on the surface. Ah, okay. Um, so that's the third type. That's the third type is the okay. survey, and the fourth type is excavations. Um, and all of these, um, instead of a um, not a picoch, but um, a um, test cuts and a survey could lead to an excavation. Mm. So what generally happens is is that a contract will a contractor well, picoch could also right. It could also, and not usually, but yeah. it could also. Um, but what will often happen is that a contractor will get in contact with the IAA and will say, okay, I want to dig here. Um, my manager, who is the archaeologue Napa, I don't know how to translate Napa really well. It's like a region. Yeah. It's, yeah, region. Sub-region. Sub, sub-district, something yeah. like that. Um, he will, they will talk with him. They will have a meeting. They will discuss, you know, what type of archaeology is there, depending upon the time period. Is it closer to the surface? Is it lower? Um, and they will decide between them what type of testing will be done. So let's say you dig uh, in a site and you find uh, a family from 20,000 oh, years if ago. If I find bones, that's immediate, like, we stop. But, and... but what, what then do you do? Um, so, like, if I'm doing a test cut or if I'm doing an excavation? Excavation. So if I find uh, bones, um, one of the first things that I do is also depending upon um, the time period is I... If it's like a prehistoric excavation, if I find bones, I usually immediately check for finds, see what's there. Obviously, treat them with respect because they are still bones and they are still people. Um, but if it's like a Roman time period, I'm doing Roman. The first thing I do is, at least for me, I haven't had had this check encounter. Check for rings. Well, <laughs> no. Um, usually, one of my first things that I do, that I would do, this has actually never happened to me because I haven't. <laughs> done really any Roman excavation but what I would do would be the first thing to check if there's any burial goods and if there's not um, one of the things that we would I would first do would also call Akkadisha because we have an agreement that if it's buried a certain way and if it's a certain type and there's no fines most likely it's Jewish and so they come and they collect the individual and bring the individual to a safer place where they can have eternal rest oh really yep wow. and often and even other Jewish burial yeah and then even anything, even the bodies that we um, believe aren't Jewish, we still might do some testing, but then we usually turn them over. We almost pretty much, I think, 100% of the time, turn them over to Akadisha after we have done some testing so that they can be buried because according to... Just to be safe. Just to Better be safe. safe than sorry. Well, exactly. And you it's also... When the day of judgment comes, you exactly. don't want to mess... Exactly. But every... Some angry, angry... Oh, yes. But every <laughs> single every single individual is treated with respect and care and yeah. they're always turned over to... But what people. if you find, like, something really... Like, an important finding of a, of a body from... Again, tens of thousands, tens of, years thousands of years again we excavate it very carefully make sure to document everything take pictures take measurements um sometimes do 3d modeling um and then we will exhume the bones uh, often this is also done by an anthropologist not necessarily me uh -huh. um and they will do the testing that they think needs to be done they'll examine the bones to determine age and sex and whatever else and then but if it's an historic value we will it be like I don't know. Will it end up? Could it end up in a museum or? I mean, it could. Mm -hmm. um, again, it would depend upon the agreement with Akkadisha because they do have. 
Sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah but uh, yeah, but like generally but they speaking. Generally speaking, yes, especially uh, anywhere else in the world they can end up in a museum, they could end up on display, they could end up in a lab. I mean, like Atsi, who is the Atsi the Iceman who was found in the Alps on the border between Switzerland and Italy, I think. Um and he's like and he was found with like he was um he was mummified, but it was actually really cold, so he still had skin on him. It's like we were able to see um, he had tattoos all over his body, so they were able to take some samples and test his tattoo and figure out what kind of ink he used, and they were able to do all kinds of tests, and I think they're still doing tests so on him. That's uh, thanks to global warming. Yeah, actually. and that, They never actually, talk about that. Well, actually, the, a lot of archaeological things are coming out of the ice up north because of global warming, yeah. because they were frozen for you know thousands of years for the last ice age, and so there's been a lot of finds coming out because everything is melting. That's the good side of global warming. but but uh so what would you consider your dream find in an excavation oh good lord um damn um well family of four (laughs) (laughs) no actually my dream find would be to find um um well is this it's never gonna happen in this country but i would love to find the um the holy no so for example so there during the bronze age there was the time so egypt controlled this region during the bronze age and in el armana which is el armana which is a site in egypt it was one of the cities of akhenaten akhenaten was the pharaoh that made everyone cancel all the egyptian gods and only believed in aten and it's one of the earliest references to Jerusalem, right? To the city of oh, Jerusalem there's... on the on the they used to break they used to curse cities, right, by breaking stuff. Oh gosh, I don't know. I'm not the an Egyptologist. Ex- <laughs> anyway. In Egyptology. Anyway. Um but Execration he... texts. Yeah. They would write the names in the places of their enemies and then mm-hmm. they would break it. That does sound familiar, but again, I'm not I'm not an Egyptologist, so I don't know exactly. Um, but in L, in this site, they found a bunch of letters from the kings of different sites in Israel, in what is now modern-day Israel, and what was called then Canaan. Excuse me. And they were writing letters of complaint to, Akhen- mm. to Akhenaten, being like, I've got these rebels who are bothering me. Can you come send troops? And... I would love to find the library where they have all of his responses. <laughs> That's what I would like to find. I would love to find a whole horde of texts, mostly ancient, like on um, clay tablets. That is what I would love to find. Or uh, and it would never happen here. You would ne- you wouldn't. Find I don't know. It's it's because oh, it's also in cuneiform, so I don't know if they kept it or not. Uh-huh. Um, but I would love to find you know some crazy cuneiform tablet library from like a, the Assyrian Empire or the Babylonian Empire or the that Egyptian Empire. Cool. That would be we know how to cool. read those languages. Oh yes, oh yes, yes, yes. We've known for a while. We've known. It's always it's always improving, uh-huh. but we've had the general grasp of Assyrian or cuneiform to be more specific since the eighteen hundreds. It would be cool mm-hmm. if you find that would such that a, would be my my dream would be to find like a then library. Then you could retire. And uh, but he refused them help, right? So they probably. Well, were. we don't know if he refused them I help. Know. We don't have his responses. Uh, That's what I want. Like I would like to be able to find what he responded to, I if see. he if he responded or what he would say or anything. That would be the part that 
I would love to see because we don't know. Do we know where about it could be? If it existed, I don't know because it's also it's not they weren't a coalition of kingdoms at that time. They were individual city states. Because, mm-hmm. um, for example, the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah, they weren't just one city. They were so Israel was Samaria, uh, Samaria and Tel Megiddo and other sites as well, and Judah was Tel Azekah and Jerusalem. And they were all together. But before that coalition of city-states that was ruled by one king from one city, each site had its own king, so to speak, Mm -hmm. leader, chief. Choose your word. Um, And they each individually wrote a letter to Akhenaten to ask for help. That's very cool. And and follow-up question, like, what would be your uh, dream location for an excavation on the globe? Like, if you... Ooh. Oh, I love digging in Israel because we have a lot of stuff, but there's there's so many places. There's so many places that I would love to dig. I would know nothing about what I was digging because <laughs> it's just so far beyond my time experience. But I would love to dig in, you know, Iraq, Iran and dig in ancient Mesopotamia. That's not going to happen. Um, I would also Who love knows? To, uh, I would also love to dig in Egypt um, because Egyptians, it's... Uh, they're finding everything. There was actually a Netflix special about uh, it's uh, Saqqara. So they did this like kind of documentary digging at Saqqara, which is, um, there's several different types. There's the, there's Giza, the pyramids at Giza. Mm-hmm. And then at Saqqara is the stepped pyramid. Mm. Um, and so they were digging at Saqqara. And he, like, it was just so funny to watch this documentary and they were like digging, digging. Oh, it's another wooden sarcophagus. Oh, look, it's another wooden sarcophagus. And for me, I'm like, what? <laughs> Just, oh, it's another one. Oh, look, it's another one. And it's like you look at Roman uh, or yes, Ottoman coins. Exactly. And so it's just one of those things where I'm like, it's just, it's the same kind of attitude, but I'm like, I look at coins and you're looking at One archaeologist's <laughs> junk is another's Exactly, treasure. exactly. <laughs> yeah. Was there a place on earth that no archaeologist wants to go to? Like, I don't know, like Florida or something? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, there's, there's, there's... Unless you retire, there. you can go to Florida. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's for me, the, the reason why I came here is because the archaeology in the States, in the United States, there is archaeology there, but it's very different from here. You're digging for... Um, different colored patches of dirt because mm. most of the time they, they built out of wood in the United States because that's what they had a lot of. And so you're digging for different patches of dirt. It's still there and you can still find it. But it's one of those things where you have to have the patience of a saint. And I do not have that. <laughs> wow. That's <laughs> crazy. So wait, I, I'm now that we mentioned the States, humans originated from Africa mm-hmm. and then did... Did they then have to travel the Atlantic Ocean, I guess? Uh, no. So what they did was that they came out of Africa. They walked up what is called the Via Maris, which is this road coming through um, what modern-day Israel that like, leads into Europe and into Asia. And what they did is they walked crossed up. Crossed from Alaska? Yeah, they crossed from um, Russia into Alaska. Alaska. Because it was iced over? Yep. Between Alaska and mm-hmm. Russia. It's and, a land bridge. And how long ago was that? Oh, gosh. Um... More or less. It's uh, one hundred thousand years here, there. No, to the to the ten. It's like I want to say it's. Gosh, I could be way off, but I want to say between forty-five to thirty-five thousand years. But that also could be way off. Okay. Uh, Okay. So So there's 
there are remains in the in the Americas that go back tens of thousands of yes. years. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. And so it's, Columbus it's, it's, did not discover. No, and in fact, <laughs> recent, I was just reading an article about how there's evidence that um, Vikings found it even before him. Found, got there afterwards, even before him by crossing the Atlantic. So, right. but they like they didn't cross directly across the Atlantic. They coast hopped along <laughs> Iceland and Greenland. And got yeah, there. Yeah, but they they got there and they were like, ah, let's go home. <laughs> <laughs> well. They probably met the locals and were like, oh, you're different. Never mind. <laughs> and went home. I don't know. I don't know what happened. But yeah. that's, um, you know, and that's also how people got to modern day the British Isles because there was a land bridge between the Netherlands and the uh, the island of Britain. Mm. And so they just crossed that. There's actually because the sea was lower? The sea was lower and it was frozen over and all of that. And so you could just walk across. And so wow. you did. There's actually fascinating. a there's actually a, a major prehistoric village at the bottom of the North Sea. Really? Yeah. What? Mm-hmm. How deep is that? I oof, I don't know. It's it's I don't know the depth, but it's the close that area that's like the the shortest range between Britain and the Netherlands. It's round about there, so, I think. And so it's, I mean, it's probably at least a, like ten dozen, couple dozen meters yeah. down, and it's a it's a village from how long ago? Do we know? Again, it's about the same time as oh, wow. it could be 50,000, could be 60,000. That's amazing. Why aren't we archaeologists? Man? I don't know, man. Because it requires no... work. Yeah, I was like, it's you a lot of work. Yeah, it's hard labor, man. It's not, you're outside all day, every day, and you got to deal with the locals constantly questioning you. What are you doing here? It's no, like, no. Excavating. They're going to, in, uh, in 40,000 years, they'll dig me up like this. Yeah. Right in front just of the imagine, it's, it's so funny. Just imagine Emily, right? And, and, <laughs> Because an Israeli construction site, guys, it's like, you know, it's it's this chaotic site of uh, oh, yeah. Arab yeah. Arab builders and like redneck Israeli yeah. money mongering, you know, and they're like contractors, uh, yeah, contractors and like thick necked uh operators and there you you have emily strong oh yes oh yes you have me who's very clearly the blonde light colored eye oh yeah are you even oh yes no because they also all assume that i'm russian so they think that i'm just this russian woman so they're like Uh, what are you doing you lost yeah, they're like what? So like, there's like because you and could then you obviously ask them weird questions like, have you found any ancient coins? <laughs> well, no, like, I don't even ask who them. Is this I don't even ask them. I just kind of show up and be like, you see that? That's a wall. Stop. <laughs> oh, but no, it's nothing. It's nothing. No, it's something. It's something. You stop. <laughs> so oh, they, but what they... happens in this and this is because they try to bargain with me all the like oh, not all man. the time, but there's definitely people. There's contractors who have worked with the IAA for years who know that like who know us who know why we're there who know that like. I am not there to like uh, sit on their head and direct their work because that's not my job. My job is literally to make sure they don't find anything. Mm-hmm. If they find a, a modern day water pipe, that's not my problem because <laughs> yeah. it's not archaeology. So, you know, if I find a water pipe doing my test cuts, then it's my problem. <laughs> but yeah. if it's a construction site and this backhoe or excavator. But you, need to be- you needed to become more Israeli than an Israeli to handle yourself. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but it's even funny because, again, I come from Minnesota and I was raised by my Italian mother's side of the family. So in, in, in Minnesota, I was considered incredibly assertive and bossy and loud and opinionated and, and impatient in Minnesota. I come here and people call me, you're just so patient. Geek. 
You're so polite. You're so polite. You're just, and I had an Israeli turn, one of my bosses, he turned and was like, Emily, you need to be more assertive. <laughs> and I called my mom. I was like, mom, I was told to be more assertive. And my mom was like, where the frick do you live? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. So wow. I, I, I like, it's, it's, it's a struggle every day here, isn't it? Oh yeah. Um, it's an, it's an adventure You're every far day. Far away from Minnesota. Oh yeah. And it's so hot. <laughs> It's so warm. Does, uh, do you miss home? Do you miss Minnesota? I, there's parts that I miss and there's parts that I don't miss. Um, you know, I don't miss being, because I also didn't just grow, um, I didn't grow up in the big city. I, I grew up, well, also Minnesota, big city. Yeah. Um, I grew up in <laughs> Minneapolis until I was 12. And then I was moved to a smaller town, um, mm-hmm. Buffalo, Minnesota. And I was incredibly loud for them. I was incredibly opinionated. I was so bossy and so assertive that I had a hard time being accepted and understood and um, and welcome. And then, but I come here and I just blend in because if I got excited, I would start talking really loud and everyone just immediately thought I was angry. Mm. And here I start talking really loud and getting excited. No one bats an eye. No one freaks out. This is totally normal behavior. Yeah. And I move on with my day. And so it's kind of like you found yourself. Yeah. It's yeah. it's like I feel more like I can be myself here and no one gives a damn. Yeah. Um, but I do miss I do miss Minnesota bureaucracy. <laughs> I do miss that I go to the office and the person just turns around, this is the form and that's all I got to do. That's the part mm. that I miss. Yeah. Um, I do the I have gotten adjusted to the Israeli customer service, but I also do miss um, Minnesota customer service every once in a while where I can just tell someone like help me and they go oh yes of course here you go and they fall over themselves but it's also one of those moments that I've gotten so used to Israeli that I'm also like you don't need to fall over yourself calm down I just just point me in the direction I'll be okay Yeah. and so it's just like this weird thing of but you've been here for seven years now right yes. so, so it's yes. been a while Yes, but it's also, I haven't been home for two and a half years now because of the whole corona thing. Wow. So. And before, does your family visit? Did they visit? Uh, no, because my family's financial situation up until recently has not been very good. So they so, didn't have the finances to come and see me. So, so. you would visit? Yes. You would go back home? Yep, yep. I would go back home once a... Oh, <laughs> sorry, my phone might be going That's off in the right. background. Um, but mostly my family... And the plan is to stay here? Yep. Yep, we are staying here. Wow. This is where we're living. We tried... Um, we <laughs> Till you find those uh, Akhenaten... Uh... Yes, of course, and then I'm gone. Um, <laughs> then uh, you're taking them with you. Yep. Um, <laughs> sell them at a million bucks a pop. Yep, that's what I want to do. Um, <laughs> but, that's uh, pretty cheap, actually. Probably, yeah, no kidding. Right? Yeah, it's actually... They're probably priceless, but whatever. Um, uh, we actually did just... <laughs> We had a, a European adventure. We tried to move to Europe, actually, to the Netherlands. And mm-hmm. um, it ended in uh, pretty much catastrophe. We moved there to be with um, my husband's father's side of the family and realized that the majority of that family over there was not actually as close or as good as a family as we thought. Um, there are definitely members of the family over there that we are keeping in contact with that we like. But they're, they're like the only ones. And we realized once, once we were there that we, the reasons why we had left Israel just didn't matter anymore. And that, in fact, we were, because we're both very, me and my husband, my Israeli husband, are both very family oriented that we were just, 
this is not what we moved here for. We're going back to Israel. So we lived mm. in the Netherlands for all of two months and then came right back. Um, this time I, to stay. Yes, exactly. And also it was kind of funny that I was kept, I, uh, I would have these, every other day I was like crying and having bouts of homesickness. And I was saying they were like, I miss home and home is Israel. And it was just like, dang it, it grew on me. <laughs> What is the, the line? Sometimes you got to lose what you got to appreciate it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so it was just one of those moments where it was like, you know, what? Uh, home is Israel, so that's where we're going to go. So we came back, and so we're here to stay. That's um, awesome. Yeah. And so it's been, I went right back to my job at the IEA. They're like, oh, you're back? Good. We need people. It's <laughs> like, okay. There's not a plethora of archaeologists just no. lined at the door. No. Well, I mean, there's a lot of people study archaeology, but it is... I think also mainly what a problem is worldwide is no one knows how to make a job of it mm -hmm. as how do you what do you do how do you do it how do you because oftentimes in university the only job really presented to you is that of the academic and being a professor mm -hmm. um, and also also throughout the world like because um, throughout the world there are organizations even in the United States and Canada and Mexico all over the world Europe much like the IAA, mm -hmm. but oftentimes it's very difficult to know that that exists because it's not as talked about. No in... PR, no. Exactly. You need to willingly go to the website, to the job section. And... Yeah, and so the IAA does a much better, has been doing a much better job of that recently because we do a lot of work with um, school groups and family groups and things and get people interested in and involved in archaeology. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's also... It's also a very men-oriented uh, profession, no? Hmm? Archaeology, like male-dominated. Like, do um, <laughs> like being a girl, it's a little girl who says to her parents, "I want to become an archaeologist," well, might get deterred. It well, I mean, back in the day, I mean, a lot of my managers are male, but it's most of my colleagues are girls. Mm -hmm. Our really. generation is it's women, so wow. there's a lot more women going into archaeology. But yes, older generations were mostly male, as you can see. Times are see. changing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Times are changing. And there are, there definitely, there were women back then as well. It's just, it's really hard to say. Archaeology is mainly a male-oriented, dominated field. A lot of fields are mostly male-oriented and dominated. <laughs> Let's <laughs> yeah, be honest. True. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but no, there's, most of my colleagues are female. We're pretty much, well, most, we're pretty much half and half, at least in my Very cool. district. Yeah. Do you have uh, an Instagram? or something like that where you I, like can people I do I don't really post a whole I, I don't post a lot to it in general not, okay. not just archaeology I would okay. say, otherwise I would say yeah follow me but I don't really post okay. to it are there any like archaeology blogs that you that you follow that you think oh, uh, or YouTube channel you would recommend oh there's so many um you can you can YouTube so much um my favorite history thing is um, the British Museum does a whole series with their different curators and um, collections managers where it's called a curator's corner and they'll talk about a certain object that they have. Mm -hmm. I think that's a great entryway so you can see the a person who knows this object and talks about it and is also very excited because it's they're told to pick an object that they love and so mm -hmm. and they've got curators from all over from prehistory to um, Japanese art to um, Anglo-Saxon burials and it's just all kinds of varieties but there is you can pretty much google any university and there'll be a lot of videos wow. and YouTubes and stuff it's out there it's just not very popular mm -hmm. which is unfortunate but there is there's so many um, 
there's all kinds of Instagram pages that also you can follow. Um, there's even like um, TAU has an archaeology page mm -hmm. that you can follow. Tel Aviv on, University. Tel Aviv University that has an Instagram page that you could follow and they'll talk mm -hmm. about their excavations and things that they had found in their past excavations as well. I think even each okay. excavation, Tel Azikah has its own Instagram page and so does Tel Megiddo. And so you can follow them and see what they're doing and what they're up to. Awesome. Very cool. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much for having me. It was fascinating. Yeah. Uh, before we go, yes, uh, we are sponsored by Agutseva. Yes, IsraelNationalNews.com. Uh, check them out, guys. It's a great source for opinion uh, pieces for news. We're also up on the website IsraelNationalNews.com. Agutseva and and Israel National and the uh, Australian Jewish News. Sorry, yeah. uh, AJN.TimesOfIsrael.com. Uh, check them out for the Australian angle for Jewish news. Yes, and of course, we do this on our free time, so if you want to help us out, go to 2njb.com slash donate, and we don't have them here yeah, up on the I table. Yeah, I forgot to put them on the table. But we have uh, some cool new merchandise, so check out 2njb.com slash merch to get your own Two Nice Jewish Boys mug or uh, BDS Tears mug. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's one of them. <laughs> uh, and if enough for about, we're going to make a nice Jewish girl mug, too. Yeah. So uh, go to 2njb.com slash merch. Thank you so Thank much, you. Emily. Thank you. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.